All right, this evening we're going to go back to baptism in the early church, Tertullian on baptism. There's, there's, a one on, there's one part of me that once you get into some of these things, you're like, okay, all I, needed, all I really needed to prove for me is to just show that when people say, the early church, the early church, the early church said this about baptism, we've already been able to clearly distinguish that just from the Didache, if you go from Scripture to the Didache to Tertullian, there's not a consistent voice. All right. And if I can demonstrate there's not a consistent voice, then people can't say, well, the early church was unanimous on this. You may say that from a certain period in time forward they were unanimous on it, but why wasn't the early, early, early church unanimous on it? That, that should be the question. So, um, and, and so in some ways I felt like, okay, I've proved my point. Let's just move on. But, you know, I, I can't. On one, on one way I want to do that, and the other way I can't do that. So we're going to work through all of Tertullian. We'll go all through Hippolytus. And then we may pull up some other uh, documents from church. One just for the church, mainly for the church history, more than anything else. Because the Baptist, I mean, I mean, this, I, mean I, don't, I, I think everyone can agree. What Tertullian is saying at times sounds utterly just like, this is so crazy, right? This is not the way we handle scriptures. What did you say? Okay, well, that's a nice way of putting it. Complete nonsense, yes. I mean, it, it is. <laughs> that's, I, I do agree that there's, there's a part of me that's like, this is just so ridiculous. But at the same time, I try to be nice because I understand the time period in which he's writing. He doesn't have what we have. And so I try to be, I try to be understanding. But, it, but at the same time, I guess I'm not as frustrated with Tertullian. I'm frustrated with Christians who try to tell me, well, the early church, the early church, the early church. I'm like, yeah, like Tertullian. Yeah, yeah. Those, he said some genius things there that we would all say what? We would all disagree with. But I want to frame it tonight. I want to frame it tonight in, in kind of a different way. Before we jump right back into Tertullian, and if you're going to be looking... Um, Sometimes as I'm reading, I'm skipping things. If, if I skip something or, or I change a word and, and you think I need to correct something, just please let me know because sometimes I'll get home and go back and listen and go, oh man, what was I doing there? What was I doing there? So let me know. But if you have a Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 to be exact. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now for the Today's Focus uh, podcast series, we did two parts based off 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and then I took a break today because of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria to ask some hard questions about faith and prayer and how do we handle all of that. So tomorrow I'll get back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you may not see the correlation here. You may not see the correlation. But here's, when I think about baptism in the early church, this is the way I like to frame it, all right, is... I think we can agree that if you look at so many issues within the history of Christianity, all the disagreements, a lot of it comes down to how do we understand how God saves us from sin, how we are saved from sin, how we are delivered from sin, or how do we respond to sin after salvation. There's all these issues about sin, 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 sin. So obviously the early church understood that, well, that baby... They seem to understand, or at least when infant baptism comes along, that the baby has a depraved nature. So the baby is a sinner. So once again, it came down to a question of what do we do? And then when it comes to adults, well, they're sinners. 
how do we wash that away? How, how, do we, how do we take care of that? What's the solution, right? And so, obviously, a lot of different groups have believed baptism was an essential part in dealing with that sin, right? Either washing away the guilt of it, freeing you from it, washing it away. Like, they, they, they wanted, they're like, there's got to be an answer to this sin problem. So what I would like, what I want to do is just I want you to look at one passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want you to just consider verse 6. All right? Now, if we go back to verse 5 so that we know exactly who they were referring to. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and, or men, and the man is Christ Jesus. Right? That's, that's the, the person that's being spoken of. Verse 6 starts, 1 Timothy 2.6. Verse 6 starts with who? And the who goes back to Jesus. Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, the idea that a ransom is that Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Now, if Jesus paid the price, that would seem to indicate, right, that he paid the price, and what what price? He paid the ransom price. He paid the price to take care of our sin, right? And if Jesus paid it all, right, if Jesus paid it all, now, what I've been talking about for the today's focus is who did he pay it to? Who did he pay the price to? To whom, right? Because we know in church history there's disagreements, right? Some people believe he paid it to Satan, and that's kind of the C.S. Lewis kind of concept. We can get into all of that. But, so, but for me, it's just he paid the price. Well, if he paid the price and it's gone, this, this to me raises lots of issues, right? For example, if, if, if Jesus paid the entire price for all of Bobby's sins, they've all been paid, they're all, it's paid for, they're just, they're, there's no more, they've come in completely paid, then how can Christians come along and say, well, Bobby, if you do this and this and this and this, you were never saved. Well, wait a minute. If all of your sins have been paid for, how could you not be saved by committing sin if all the sin has been paid for? That would seem to say, well, the, you know your sins are paid for because you stopped doing them. But whether you stop doing them would have nothing to do with the payment, right? See, that, that, to me, that's a major issue, right? Like, like, how can I look to Bobby and go, Bobby, you, you, you do these 15 things. This proves you're not saved. Well, if they're all paid for, there's no way that I could use that to say you're not saved. Like, right? immediately that, like, everyone should stop and go, well, wait a minute, that, that would be true. That, if they're paid for, they're paid for. Well, now, when we talk about Jesus paying for it, so then here would be the question. If Jesus paid for the sins, how do we, quote-unquote, get the payment applied to us? What's required to get the payment applied? Do we have to believe? I think everyone would say yes on that. But do you have to be baptized as well? Some people say you've got to believe and be baptized. So that seems like, well, wait a minute. If they're paid, then so the baptism... So a, ba- a baptism applies the payment in a way that faith doesn't, or faith doesn't get the full payment? Like, this raises some serious questions. If it's paid for, how does this all work? But it's, it all fits together in trying to understand baptism, right? Because some people believe baptism is an essential part to that. Hey, your sins are still on you, Bobby, until you get baptized. Now, typically, what some of them will do will be, but... If for some reason you wanted to get baptized, but you were not able, then it counted. Well, that makes it, 
makes absolutely no sense, right? So now the want to is sufficient? I mean, like, that doesn't make... So it, but it all comes down to the church for 2,000 years has struggled. What do we do with sin? Whether... How do we, how do we take care of this sin problem? And how do we understand sin after someone gets saved? And no matter what, everyone struggles with what to do with it. Everyone, nobody's like, oh, well, I don't, what, well, no, 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 sorry. You, you can't, if you can't commit those sins and be saved. No, 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 you lost your salvation. No, no, no. So, no, you got to get baptized. But if you lose it, you don't have to get baptized again. Well, you, you get baptized as a baby and it washes it away. Well, but you could lose it. Like, it's all confusing. Which seems to indicate to me that the church has struggled forever with what to do with sin. What to do with sin. And so I, I, just, I just wanted to at least kind of frame it there for us to consider, did Jesus pay it or not pay it? And if he paid it, why is it so complicated to figure out how to get the payment applied to me, right? Like, why is it so convoluted? I can lose the payment. I can get the payment. I got to do this to get the payment. If I don't do this, it proves I never got the payment. Like, nobody can seem to bring in all of the concepts in a way. It's like, I think if you look at every theological system, nobody can get the puzzle complete. It just seems like that everyone's like, well, does that, does that puzzle piece fit? And I think sometimes it, it's, it's really convoluted. And I think in some ways, Tertullian's trying to figure it out, right? That, that's, I, I'm going to try to put it in the best light that I can, that I'm going to try to give Tertullian credit, that he's trying to figure it out. And I feel, and I understand that he's trying to figure it out. Now, some of the things he's talking about, I have no clue what he's talking about, and I agree that it, at times it's ridiculous, but we're going to do our best to figure this out. So let's at least, I'm not going to go back and review everything, but let's accomplish this. As far, so let's make sure we do this. In the Didache, what's the basic formula for baptism in the Didache? The simple summary of its formula. Instruction. Fasting. It seems to be dipped into water. Running water. Cold water. Pour in the head if you can't find, if if that's your last option. But it seems to include, it seems to imply that whoever's being baptized has some capability of receiving instruction and fasting. So that seems to eliminate babies. And it seems to go with the idea of immersion. And I don't really apply any of it. I, did, did, I don't think we saw anything in the Didache that really connected it in a salvific or regenerative way. Do we agree? There was nothing there that seemed to say, like, this is going to wash away your sins. And th- like, it didn't seem to, to go with that. So it seemed very simple and very straightforward, right? Okay. Now, once we get to Tertullian, we've seen that he clearly holds to it in a salvific way a regenerative way, sins are washed away, we get the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., etc. But as far as how the practice was to occur, he seems to give three steps, right? One, it purged into water. Remember, he literally used those, those words, correct? Or plunged, I'm sorry. Plunged, purged into water, yeah. Plunged into water, I, I purged doesn't make sense. Plunged into water, thanks for correction, correcting it. All right, plunged into water. What was next? Anointed with oil, and the next, the imposition of hands or laying on the hands. There seemed to be three parts. And, of course, it was done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we, that, that's another thing of clearly 
identifying that as well. So that clearly had become a, a clear practice at this point, all right, which would call into question the one that's Pentecostals trying to claim. Well, the early church didn't. Well, it, everyone claims the early, isn't it funny? Everyone claims the early church does it their way. And then when you sometimes go back and see what the early church does, you know what we seem to find out? They didn't do it anybody's way, okay? Because do you, do you I mean, that, that, this is a very seem, seemingly a, a specific way of doing things, all right? So we talked about the unction, right? And what chapter was that? Chapter 7, right? And the unction was the anointing of oil, right? Everybody remember that, okay? And then did we look at chapter 8? The imposition of hands, types of the deluge, and the dove. Yes? Um, I I, kind of want to go back through it, but for time's sake, I won't. So that brings us to which chapter? Chapter 9. And this one is called? Types of the Red Sea and Water from the Rock. Now, immediately we know his his whole way of trying to prove his point. How, How would you describe his apologetic approach? to trying to prove his view on baptism. Right. He's using an allegorical typology. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, well, water in the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying he's using kind of an allegorical typology way. Like he's not really going to scriptures that speak about baptism. He's going to scriptures that speak about water. And because there's water, and baptism has water, then anything that seems to have something supernatural going on with water proves that there's something supernatural going on with baptism. But what, what would be a logical fallacy with that? What would be a logical pro- problem with this approach? Well, logically, if, every, if you try to prove that because there were some instances where there was something supernatural connected to water, then you would have to argue that wherever water shows up, something supernatural is happening. Yeah, he's going through Old Testament story so far. Right. Right, yeah. Well, he, he seems to be selective in which passages he does. Which, that's another problem, right? He's, he's seemingly to select... Well, the water here or the water here, but wait, wait a minute, because we can look at water with all kinds of things that are going on, right? All kinds of things are going on. He did reference uh, the, the man at the pool where the angels came down, but even that he didn't really address. Well, is it possible that that was just there? Because the, what John seems to be doing in that story is uh, John seems to be trying to say, everyone kept coming there thinking they were going to be healed. This man actually was healed, and so it seems to, because if, if so people were getting healed there all the time, because an angel was showing up and stirring up the water, then Jesus' miracle would have been what? No big deal. Why record? Big deal, Jesus, you healed someone at the pool. People have been getting healed here every day for 30 years. So go away. Do something better. That wasn't the reaction, was it? No. So immediately we seem to, like, nobody wants to address that part of that, of that story. All right. So let's look at the type of the Red Sea and water from the rock. Everybody ready? Okay, here we go. How many, therefore, okay, I'm going to, listening to myself start preaching there. Okay. How many, therefore, are the pleas of nature? How many the privileges of grace? How many the solemnities of discipline, 
the figures, the preparations, the prayers, which have ordained the sanctity of water. All right, so, what, where is he trying to lead us here? He's trying to say that there's all these different things that show us what? The sanctity of water. The sanctity of water. <laughs> That's, we, we, we sometimes refer to the sanctity of life. He, he has a new movement called the sanctity of water. And that kind of, I mean, isn't that kind of interesting? Now, we, we and, and, and from our perspective, we don't believe that there's sanctity to water. We do believe God created everything. So I guess if you, but by that, everything would have a level of sanctity because God created everything. But he really tries to elevate water above everything. And why did, remember why he tried to elevate water above everything? Does anybody remember the early part of the book? It was there at the beginning and the spirit was hovering over it. Remember, that was his like main argument. So that proves water is different than everything else. Okay. All right, here we go. First, indeed, when the people set unconditionally free, escaped the violence of the Egyptian king by crossing over through water, it was water that extinguished the king himself with the entire forces. What figure more manifestly fulfilled and the sacrament of baptism? Now, all right. Okay. This is where it can get frustrating, right? I don't know if you've ever, I mean, if you ever have theological arguments with someone, sometimes you can get, lose your mind because it just seems like no matter what you say, that they can take whatever they want to argue and prove their point. Because we can say, well, wait a minute. How would this demonstrate that what? Because remember, his earlier argument was water brought forth life. But now he's using the argument, well, water kills. So what better picture of the sacrament of baptism? Now, you know how he's going to probably argue that it kills what? Sin. That's probably going to be the way. I'm assuming that's the direction he's going to go. We'll see if he goes there or not. Um, The nations are set free from the world by means of water to wit and the devil, their old tyrant, they leave quite behind, overwhelmed in the water. Well, I mean, that, that's where this is. This is where it's definitely, put it this way. If you take this to its logical conclusion, the old man is dead. Left in the water. Then a new man rises up. Now, we got no problem if you want to say that that's true positionally. Okay. But uh, you know that this goes way beyond. This goes way beyond that. But, but isn't it just weird that, so he says they were delivered by water. In a roundabout way, they were delivered by dry land. Were they not? They didn't get wet. So it's so weird that you take a story where the people who were saved never got wet and say, that's a picture of baptism. No, the people who got wet died. So then how does he work it? Well, see, the water takes care of the, old, of the, of, of the devil and of the world. It takes care of it. So, but, but, but the people, but the people who got wet, it's so weird. Like, well, good point. 
Well, that, now that's a very good point. If you're going to say that picture is baptism, then we know what follows baptism. <laughs> right, right. If we're going to say that picture is baptism, we know what happens right after your baptism. You take off all your clothes and run around the golden calf. I mean, if you want, see, that's the problem with typology. Like, you can take it and go, oh, you can create a beautiful picture, and everybody's like, whoa, that preach is good. Now, if there's one person who thinks it through, we'll be like, well, wait a minute. Your picture would lead you that the result of baptism is idolatry. <laughs> right. And if you think about it, all of those people who pass through, how many make it to the promised land? The whole generation is wiped out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then baptism really is of no value. Baptism will not even get you to the promised land. See, if you, if you, you see, if he wants to go spiritualize it, well, then let's spiritualize it all the way. All those people who were baptized (laughs) die. Okay. They, 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 your baptism was useless. In fact, the, well, you know what? I guess they would try to argue, well, wait a minute. When I get to the Jordan, the new generation was baptized. I bet you you could try to work it that way. But then you're like, but if the first baptism didn't work, why would the second? And the second one doesn't work either. Because <laughs> they don't go into the land very long before what happens. Everyone's doing right at their own eyes. So see, it still doesn't work. So in two cases where you have supposedly a picture of baptism, the people baptize all rebel against God. So uh, the whole thing falls apart. But okay, listen. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Like, how does he not realize that the very story he's using would actually be an argument against his position? All right, but let's go through this again. All right, so. So the people set unconditionally free escaped the violence of the Egyptian king by crossing over through water. It was water that extinguished the king himself with his entire forces. What figure more manifest fulfilled in the sacrament of baptism? The nations are set free from the world by means of water to wit, and the devil, their old tyrant, they leave quite behind, overwhelmed in the water. Again, water is restored from its defect of bitterness to its native grace of sweetness by the tree of Moses. The tree was Christ restoring to wit of himself the veins of sometime envenomed and venomed and bitter nature into the all solitary waters of baptism. This is the water which flowed continuously down for the people from the accompanying rock. For if Christ is the rock, without doubt we see baptism blessed by the water in Christ. How mighty is the grace of water in the sight of God and his Christ for the confirmation of baptism. Now, again, we can just stop right here. If you want to talk about how wonderful this all is, take it to its logical conclusion, because as we, we can clearly demonstrate from the text, those who supposedly were baptized die. They don't make it to the promised land. They become idolaters. They rebel against God. They do not fulfill his law. And then the next group, who quote-unquote get baptized by crossing the Jordan, they rebel and they become idolaters as well. So he can say all of this poetic language, but it doesn't change the reality of the story, does it? All right. Um, let's see. And then next he says, never, never is Christ without water. If that is, he is himself baptized in water. 
inaugurates in water the first rudimentary displays of his power, who, invited to the nuptials, invites the thirsty when he makes a discourse to his own sympaternal water, approves when teaching concerning love among works of charity, the cup of, offer, the cup of water offered to a poor child, recruits his strength at a well, walks over the water, willingly crosses the sea, ministers water to his disciples, onward even to the passion does the witness of baptism last, while he is being surrendered to the cross, water intervenes, witness Pilate's hands, when he is wounded forth from his side burst water, witness the soldier's lance. So basically, wherever you see water, it's a picture of what? Baptism. That is, that's just the most ridiculous thing. Like, how do you argue against that? I mean, it's just, I guess the way you argue against it is what? So, you, so by that logic, Pilate saved himself by washing his hands? And because water and blood came out of Jesus, that pictures baptism? Like, so does that, like, like that, it's just, just, it's just crazy talk. It's like, it's so out there. I mean, I mean anybody got any questions? I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, that's just so, anybody got any thoughts about any of that, that before we move on? I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any, I have nothing profound to say to that because it's just, it's so allegorical. I mean, everything that's water is baptism. Jesus walking on the water. I don't know. What, what, how does that? Jesus walks on the water, so that's baptism? I'm like, what does that even mean? I mean, oh. Well, maybe so, but I'm just saying he's using that to make an argument for baptism. Did you have something? I know. Water's going to be. They're fishermen living around water. Okay, I know. <laughs> right. Or wheat. Yeah, right. So, I. Blood. Right. Right. And, and is it the blood that washes away our sins or is it water that washes away our sins? Oh, wait, is it both? Because blood and water came out of tears. <laughs> I mean, like, you can just run with these. Water. Oh, so there you go. So see, once again, you can, you, you, I, mean, you could, you could, I mean, you could just take these things and go and go and go and go and go. But the, the problem is, where does it end? All right, let's go to the next chapter. Now, what's he going to talk about next? John's baptism. Oh boy. Okay. Do what? What'd you say? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. 
All right, let's see how far we can get. All right. Oh, boy. It just, even just reading it just gets frustrating at times. Because you just, because like, it's like if he was dealing with an actual text, then maybe we could like, we could, we'd have some way to, to argue against it. It's just, like, how do I make an argument against something? Because he's just grabbing random things from ra- only certain verses and saying, see, there's water. And so that proves something, right? We have spoken so far, as our moderate ability permitted, of the generals which form the groundwork of the sanctity of baptism. So, it is correct, it is correct, that what he's trying to show is that water, the sanctity of water, but obviously he's trying to prove the sanctity of water to demonstrate the power of baptism. And if you're trying to prove the power of baptism by liking it to these things, like the parting of the Red Sea, well, we then will can take that, that picture and run it to its logical course, and everyone who is baptized, they turn into idolaters who die, so, or end up in captivity. So that would prove to me that baptism is, is not useful, but okay. All right, so um, he, goes, uh, he goes on to say, well, let me read the whole thing. We have spoken so far, as our moderate ability permitted, of the general, generals which form the groundwork of the sanctity of baptism. Okay, well, there... He's actually saying the sanctity not of water, of baptism. So, so then he, I guess in a round way, he was trying to prove uh, th- those things were connected to baptism. I will now equally, to the best of my power, proceed to the rest of its character, touching certain minor questions. The baptism announced by John formed the subject even at that time of a question proposed by the Lord himself, indeed to the Pharisees, whether that baptism were heavenly or truly earthly, about which they were unable to give a consistent answer, insomuch as they understood not, because they believed not. But we, with but a poor measure of understanding as of faith, are able to determine that that baptism was divine indeed, yet in respect of the command not in respect of efficacy. Two, in that we read that John was sent by the Lord to perform this duty, but human in its nature, for it conveyed nothing celestial, but it foreministered to things celestial, being to wit appointed over repentance, which is in man's power. All right, whoa, there's a lot going on, right? So, do I... Oh, I know it is. Trying to read it is hard for me. Just it's just so wordy and trying. It's just so written, so different from the way we would read or talk. All right. So, all right. Um, from that massive sentence, which aspects jump out at you? Just before we 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 move on, I'll just give you the opportunity. Which aspects of that jump out? Obviously, he thinks the Pharisees didn't understand, but we can understand because we have faith. So in other words, that's an idea that faith gives us an understanding, okay? And do you see what he's trying to say in regards to that John's baptism, what it did or didn't do? It prefigures. But he seems to say that it, had a li- it, it didn't do certain things. Celestial, Right? So it didn't, it didn't point to anything celestial or, or actually accomplish anything celestial, but what did it do? It pointed to something else, yes? 
It was appointed over repentance. And then this is that last phrase, which is in man's power. Now, right there, we would already stop and go, wait a minute. When it says in man's power, does he seem to be referring to repentance as in man's power? Yes. So he seems to be saying that John's baptism, did, it seems to be saying it didn't have a certain kind of efficacy, right? But it pointed to something that would have the efficacy. And, and it basically it happened because it was commanded and it, and it had connection to repentance, which man can do. In other words, we don't need, it seems that what he's saying, and tell me if you, if you disagree, that we, as a man, we can repent So we don't need the efficacy of John's baptism to produce the repentance because we can repent on our own. Or everybody got silent. That, That makes me nervous. All right. Okay. He seems to be clearly limiting John's baptism as not having any celestial power. It doesn't do anything celestial. Right? And that is simply connected to repentance. And repentance is something we can do. Meaning, John's baptism did not produce the repentance because we repent. So therefore, there was no celestial efficacy in John's baptism. All right. Does everybody agree with that? Am I reading that correctly? Okay. Right. Now, look up the word celestial. Let's just make sure we have some different, uh, what definitions to the word celestial. Let's make sure we have an understanding of what it's referring to. I, I think so, but let's just verify. Of this, right. So I don't think he's referring to stars. I think he's referring to heaven, right? Now, or could we say a spiritual efficacy, Right. 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 We can, and it seems to say that our that it doesn't have a celestial efficacy. John's baptism did not have a celestial efficacy. Is that is that a fair way of rendering it? Okay. And and then why and guess what? Because it only dealt with repentance, and why did it not need a celestial efficacy for repentance? Because we can do that. All right, so already we would have a massive theological issue right here. And so this is another thing that ticks me off about people reading the church fathers. You'll get some reformed person who'll want to go and say, well, Tertullian said this about baptism, like, and Tertullian said that we can repent. Well, Tertullian was wrong about repentance. Oh, but he was right about baptism? Now, whenever we start playing that game, what are we doing? We're the authority. All right? We are the authority, so stop pretending that Tertullian is the authority. If you, can, if you can disregard Tertullian on one point, guess what I can do? I can disregard Tertullian on another point. Does, does that make sense? Yes? Okay, good. All right, all right. Now, where did we stop here? Okay, let me go back up because that's a long sentence. All right. In fact, the doctors of the law and the Pharisees who were unwilling to believe did not repent either. Now, please know, he's, he's seemingly to describe belief and repentance as being what? Well, something that we do, right? Do you agree or disagree? Does he not seem to be describing these things as something we do? 
Yes, okay. So I just want you to see that immediately we would already have some disagreements with Tertullian, right? Okay. Because they were unwilling to believe and did not repent either. But if repentance is a thing human, its baptism must necessarily be of the same nature. Else, if it had been celestial, it would have been given both the Holy Spirit and remission of sins. In other words, if, John's the bab- if John the Baptist's baptism was celestial, what would have occurred? They would have received the Holy Spirit and the remission of sins. But since they did not get that, then his baptism was not celestial, his baptism was earthly. Everybody, does everybody feel that I'm being accurate here? I mean, please, if you don't think I'm being accurate, this is your opportunity to tell me that I'm wrong. It's a one-time deal. All right, okay, good. Next. But none either pardons sins or freely grants the Spirit, save God only. Even the Lord himself said the Spirit would not descend on any other condition, but that he should first descend to the Father. What the Lord was not yet conferring, of course, the servant could not furnish. Accordingly, in the Acts of the Apostles, we find that men who had John's baptism had not received the Holy Spirit, whom they knew not even by hearing. That then was no celestial thing, which furnished no celestial endowments. Whereas the very thing which was celestial and John, the spirit of prophecy, so completely failed after the transfer of the whole spirit to the Lord that he presently sent to inquire whether he whom he had himself preached, whom he had pointed out when coming to him, were he. So he's literally making it very clear John's baptism had what? No spiritual celestial impact. It was earthly. One 100% earthly. Did not bring the Holy Spirit. Did not bring the remission of sins. It was only connected to repentance, which is something we can do. Has everybody got that? Everybody good with that so far? All right, good so far. All right. I wanted to get further, but man, these paragraphs and sentences are so like, what in the world? All right. It, it can be. All right. And so the baptism of repentance was dealt with as if it were a candidate for the remission and sanctifi- sanctification shortly about to follow in Christ. For that John used to preach baptism for the remission of sins, the declaration was made with reference to future remission, if it be true, as it is, that repentance is antecedent, remission subsequent, and this is the preparing the way. But he who prepares did not, does not himself perfect, but procures for another too perfect. John himself professes that celestial things are not his, but Christ's, by saying, He who is from the earth speaketh concerning the earth. He who comes from the realms above is above all. And again, by saying that he baptized in repentance only, but that one would shortly come who would baptize in the spirit and fire. Of course, because true and stable faith is baptized with water unto salvation, pretend and weak faith is baptized with fire unto judgment. All right. Any questions about that? Pretty simple, right? Straightforward. Simply put, what would we say about this chapter?
Okay, John's, bapti- John's baptism was not celestial. It produced nothing spiritual. It just led to repentance, which was to repent to turn what? To go to the celestial. Repent from the earthly to move to the celestial because the celestial is where salvation will come. Right, right. Yeah, John's baptism. Yeah, those who had the John's baptism still needed something else. All right? I think we're good to go with that. And so basically what he's saying is, but do you not find it kind of interesting though? Because he's been talking about the, the, the power in water, the power in water, the power in water. But all of a sudden you get to John and it's like, John's, John's baptism didn't have that power. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Or, do, or am I the only one who feels it that way? When I read it, because I'm kind of like, well, that's weird. You've been talking about all the power connected to it, and all of a sudden, John's water didn't work. I mean, I, is that fair? Yeah, it's kind of a weird chapter. It, it's, but he has to deal with it, but it's just weird that he kind of goes with the idea it didn't do anything. It's just, the, 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 water, the water didn't have the same sanctity there. I don't know. It just seems odd. Because he's actually baptizing people, but it's like it doesn't do anything. So it's kind of weird. All right, now, what's the next chapter? Okay, so now he's going to try to answer some objections. And what objection could someone say? Well, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. All right, so he's going to work to answer that. All right, and I'm just making sure nobody is making any comments anywhere. Okay, all right, here we go. But behold, say some, the Lord came and baptized not. For we read, and yet he used used not to baptize but his disciples. As if in truth, John had preached that he would baptize with his own hands. Of course, his words are not to be understood, are, are not so to be understood. But as simply spoken after an ordinary manner, just for instance, we say, the emperor set forth an edict, or the prefect cudgeled uh, him, prayed, pray, does the emperor in person set forth, or the perfect person cudgel. One whose ministers do a thing is always said to do it. So he will baptize you, will have to be understood as standing for, through him or into him, you will be baptized. But let not that fact that he himself baptized not trouble any. All right. Wow. That's, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Okay. He, he is trying to answer the fact that some would say, hey, Jesus didn't baptize anyone. So obviously baptism cannot be essential or bapti- baptism be something important. So he tries to use this example of an emperor. Right? And what he's saying, if an emperor gives an edict, that does, he, he doesn't personally himself, he's given the credit for it. Does that make sense? So, Jesus didn't baptize anyone, but he himself tells people to baptize. So, therefore, in a sense, he does baptize, just not him personally. Yeah, through him you'll be baptized, or in him you'll be baptized, but not by him. All right, does, does, does that make sense? Yeah, maybe, kind of. All right. 
You see, now where did we stop? All right. Uh, for into whom should he baptize? Into repentance? Of what use then do you make his forerunner? Into remission of sins, which he used to give by a word. Into himself, whom by humility he was concealing. Into the Holy Spirit, who had not yet descended from the Father. Into the church, which the apostles had not yet founded. That's interesting. Stop right there. That's very interesting. Because there's a lot of debate. Well, when did the church begin? When did the church begin? He clearly is placing the church does not begin to where? Acts. So that's just interesting because a lot of people make an argument. No, the, the church has always existed because it's the spiritual church. It's spiritual Israel. It's the people of, you know, it seems the church doesn't begin to Acts, right? That's where he seems to be pointing to, which is just kind of interesting. Some people make a big deal about when the church begins and have all kinds of fights and arguments. At least Tertullian places it somewhere else. So that's interesting. I'm not saying everyone at that time would have, but I think it's interesting. All right. Um, Where did I stop? Okay, give me a second. I gotta find here. Okay, okay. Or uh, into the church which the apostles have not yet founded, and thus it was with the selfsame baptism of John that his disciples used to baptize as ministers, with which John before had baptized as a forerunner. Let none think it was with some other, because no other existed except that of Christ subsequently which at that time, of course, could not be given by his disciples insomuch as the glory of the Lord had not yet been fully attained. So, let's stop right here. What is he saying here? That when the disciples immediately started baptizing, their baptism had the same efficacy of whom's? John's. Because their baptism couldn't do anything until Christ basically ascended back to the Father. All right? Does that make sense? All right? So meaning that basically any baptisms that occurred from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had the same uh, efficacy as John's baptism. It was really one of repentance. The real baptism was going to start when? An axe. Right? Does that make some sense? Hopefully. Right? I hope so. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, so it says, which at the same time, of course, not could not be given by his disciples in so much as the glory of the Lord had not yet been fully attained, nor the efficacy of the font established through the passion and the resurrection, because neither can our death see dissolution except by the Lord's passion, nor life be restored without his resurrection. So in other words, you had to get to the death, burial, and resurrection before something of efficacy could occur. All right. Oh, man, we're going to run out of time. We're going to see if we can get the next one. All right. All right. I made it that, that, that one cudgel, however I messed up that word. Okay, but yeah, you get it. All right. Everybody good there? All right, now, which chapter are we on now? Chapter 12. And what is it called? Here we go. All right. Of the necessity of baptism to salvation. All right. Try to go slow here. 
I'm trying to read these slowly as I can. I am trying. Man, this is a long one. I wish we could finish this one. Okay, but here we go. When, however, the prescript is laid down that without baptism, salvation is attainable by none, chiefly on the ground of that declaration of the Lord who says, unless one be born of water, he hath not life. All right, stop right here. So he is making it clear that what cannot happen without baptism? Salvation. Now, if one says that, if one says that, we got to make it very clear then. Whenever someone says this, what would we require of them for consistency's sake? I'm talking about anyone, that there could be no exceptions. Because almost everyone who says baptism is required for salvation makes exceptions. Everyone does. Church of Christ, everyone. Well, I mean, if you, if you wanted to get baptized and you were not able to, well, I mean, that's got to count. And no, it cannot count. If you say baptism is required for salvation, like Sarah Sarah made this exact same point about babies dying. Because when we were looking at the uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith and we were talking, very uncomfortable subject, right? And then uh, some some would argue, no, 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 the babies babies can be saved, the babies can be saved. And Sarah said, well, if that's true, then everything this Confession of Faith says about justification by faith is mute. It, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it doesn't matter. Just, just, just silence it and just ignore it. It's just, it's just, it doesn't matter. Just ignore the, because, because you would have an entire age of people who could be saved without faith. So you can't say, no, you're saved by faith alone. No, because there's people from this age to this age who can be saved without it. Then you can't say that it's a requirement. Because when, how, did, how can you say, well, when you're six, you don't need it, but when you're, when you're 13, you do. That, do you see how like, that is so inconsistent? Well, you can't say baptism is essential, but then if someone's not baptized, well, well, we're going to make exceptions. No, there can't be an exception. There could not be an exception. It's just, I mean, that, like nobody, like, that's the problem with theology. We always want exceptions, don't we? And everyone seems to find an exception for everything, right? Okay, well, this is sinful. Well, okay, it's not sinful here. Okay, well, that's, well, not here. Well, I mean, someone could go to hell. Well, no, not for that. And then we always find some way to get around it. Tertullian is at least being what? He, He seems to be making it dogmatic, right? Without baptism, salvation is attainable by how many? None. By, and he says this, by the Lord's own word. Where does he take those words from? John 3. Lest one be born of water. So you have to be born of water. And, that, and he makes that water to be what? Baptism. All right. Uh, there arise immediately scrupulous they rather audacious doubts on the part of some. How, in accordance with the prescripts, salvation is attainable by the apostles whom Paul accepted 
we do not find baptized in the Lord. Some will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. These people, when were they baptized? When did they get baptized? Right? So, well, then he's going to try to uh, make an, uh, explain that. Now, since Paul, the only one of them who was put on the garment of Christ's baptism, either the pearl of all the others who lack the water of Christ is prejudged that the prescript may be maintained or else the prescript is rescinded if salvation has been ordained even for the unbaptized. I have heard the Lord is my witness, doubts of that kind, that none may imagine me so um, abandoned as to excogiate, unprovoked, and the license of my pen, ideas, which would inspire others with scruple. All right, well, that is a, a mess to try to unpack. All right. Right, because there's no record of the others being baptized. So he's like, so how then do I understand these other people? After uh, his, after he's blinded, is he not baptized there in Acts? When he gives his testimony, does he not record his baptism, or does he? Let's see. Let's see if we can find it. Let's see if we can find it. Does uh, does he? Uh, is there a cross reference in your edition of this? That's a good question. That is a good question. He seems to make it very clear that Paul was. Okay, let's see if we can verify this 100%. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Hang on. I know we're going to go a little late now, but that's okay. Acts 9.18? That's what I was thinking of. Okay, good. All right. Okay, is that, is that Acts 9.18? All right, good. Okay, all right. I wanted, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's there. <laughs> then you made me start second guessing myself. I'm like, wait a minute, I think it's there. All right. So Paul was baptized. What he's saying is that the others, we don't have any what? We don't have a record of it. Right? Now, if we don't have a record of it, what is his supposed solution he seems to try to put forth in that mess of a sentence? <laughs> okay. What, what's his kind of his argument or what he attempts to do? He seems to be very hesitant of what to say because he's afraid it's going to lead someone to basically make an argument against baptism. Okay. The only one recorded. So what he's saying, there's going to come some along. Well, if you're saying baptism is required for salvation, where are the others baptized? And if they weren't baptized, then they weren't saved. Or why were they accepted? And so does he kind of offer, does he offer any kind of explanation? Do, do you think he offers any kind of an explanation there? What, is, what, do you, what does everyone feel? I know we're going to run out of time, but that's okay. Because as he says, excogigate, uh, the idea is what, I, I had to look up the word to make sure I knew exactly how to understand it. Um, excogigate means to think out or plan or devise. 
So as he's trying to think out, plan, or devise, he, he's, he, he doesn't want to, to, to do this in a way that will give ideas or inspire others with scruple. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to create a situation that someone's going to make an argument against him. So he's afraid to say much here. Okay. All right. All right. Does that, does that kind of give everyone an idea that he, he seems hesitant here? All right. So now, and now as far as I shall be able... I will reply to them who affirm that the apostles were unbaptized. For they have had, if they had undergone the human baptism of John and were longing for that of the Lord, then since the Lord himself had defined baptism to be one, saying, Peter, who was desirous of being thoroughly bathed, he who hath once bathed hath no necessity to wash a second time, which, of course, he would not have said, at all to one not baptized. Remember when uh, Peter has that discussion? Okay, where is that scripture found? Hey, John 13, all right. So he's, he's interpreting those words. Well, then clearly Peter was, right? Are, are, is he interpreting them as Peter not being baptized or is he interpreting them as Peter being baptized? Uh, we have disagreements. Yeah, you're right, right, yeah. So, yeah, he's interpreting that to mean that Peter was baptized. Am I reading that correctly, or is, that, or is any, there any disagreement? Okay, is that a, does everyone think that's a good interpretation? All right, so, so he would not, uh, he was not, he would not have said that at all to one not baptized. Even here, we have a conspicuous, conspicuous proof against those who, in order to destroy the sacrament of water, deprive the apostles even of John's baptism. Can it seem credible that the way of the Lord, that is the baptism of John, had not been prepared in these persons who are being destined to open the way of the Lord throughout the whole world? The Lord himself, though no repentance was due from him, was baptized. Was baptism not necessary for sinners? As for the fact, then, that others were not baptized, they, however, were not companions of Christ, but enemies of the faith, doctors of the law, and Pharisees. From which fact is gathered an additional suggestion that since the opposers of the Lord refused to be baptized, they who followed the Lord were baptized and were not like-minded in their own rivals, especially when if, they, when if there were any one to whom they clave, the Lord had exalted John above him, by the testimony saying, among them who were born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. So his argument basically is what? Would have been baptized, and those who stood in opposition refused baptism. All right, so they were all baptized. So that's his argument. Now, we would make an argument... Just because they were all baptized doesn't not do that doesn't anything about proving it essential for salvation, right? All of us in this room have been baptized. That that has nothing to do with being essential for salvation. Agreed. All right. Now we'll just have to stop there because we're over with after eight. I know we're going to stop in the middle. I didn't. I didn't want to, but we're going to have to. So somebody remember, we stopped on which chapter? 12. And other makes the suggestion. So, but that'll be easy to go back through. All right. Okay. Any, any questions about any of that?
Any, think we got it all? Think we cut, cut, covered it pretty good? Okay. Yeah, well, I do, I, I do believe it's weak as well. I mean, his best argument is trying to, is, would be to focus on when Jesus says, if you're not born of water, that would be to me where his strength is. But he didn't really, any scriptures that he's referenced, there's been no exegeting it. No, it's just been like, here's a phrase. And then he goes off to these other kinds of attempts to argue. Agreed? Yeah, because I mean, just the fact, well, I mean, well, they had to be baptized. Okay, well. Right. Well, because baptism was for Jewish, uh, for a Gentile converts to Judaism, right? That's why it was the washing they went through to, to convert to Judaism. So that's why they all went out there going, what's going on here? It makes no sense. But I mean, even, even, but I mean, lost people would refuse baptism. Doesn't mean the baptism saves them. It just means we're baptized. Because we, like you could just reverse the argument and say, well, of course, those who believe are baptized because we indicate our salvation through our baptism. It doesn't mean our baptism saves us. And of course, if someone's not saved, they usually don't run to the local church and ask to be baptized unless they believe it's regenerative and it's going to save them from something. Okay, but uh, so yeah, that, that doesn't, that's, that's, I do agree it's a poor argument. But at this time, Remember, who is he referring to? Remember, who is he responding to? The Canaanite heresy, right? So clearly, this is arguments that they were putting forth. And so he's using this against them. Does does that make sense? All right. Any other questions? No? All right. And I'm looking to see... I don't think I messed anything up too bad. I'm looking just to make sure real quick. I don't I think I did I think we covered that all pretty good. Yeah, I think. All right. I thought there was something there I messed up, but I can't remember what it was. All right, whatever I messed up. Yeah, whatever I was I messed up. I knew I messed up something. Do I? Yeah, others make the suggestion forced enough clearly that the apostles then serve the turn of baptism when their little ship was sprinkled and covered with the waves. Okay. That's just, I'm sorry, I have a hard time reading that sentence and not laughing. Okay. When, they, when, when, when they were on the ship and it got sprinkled, that's when they got baptized. Like that's, like, that's just, okay, all right. But we won't go there. And uh, I think we're good to go. Nobody, any questions there? All right, let's stop. All right. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, working through some of these documents in church history can be difficult. We may stumble and fumble through it. But Lord, just uh, help us try to understand what the early church believed. And most importantly, let us base our understanding not on what they taught, but on what your word teaches and help us deal with the scriptures that we have to struggle with. But let us at least consider what was said in the past, so that we can be challenged in the present. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...